Well, hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Let's Read the Bible Together reading plan. We also have the plan available on our website, Grove.Church. So jump on in with us and read through the Bible together. Uh, and as you do so, if there's questions that come up, we would love to take time as much as we can at the end of every podcast episode answering some of those questions. Uh, and so there's two ways that you can send us those questions. One is via email. Uh, send us an email at, to info at grove.church. Make sure to put in the subject line a Let's Read the Bible podcast question. Uh, or you can put a question for Evan and Aaron. Whatever works, just make sure it signifies that it's a question for us. Uh, and we'll take time to answer those questions. Or if you don't want to do an email because it's a little more work, you can jump on the Facebook, look up the Grove Church. We are the Grove Church in Washington State, uh, United States of America, if you're outside of our country. Uh, thank you for listening, by the way. Uh, but you can send us a direct message on the Grove Church Facebook page there, too. Uh, those questions come to us as, as well. And as far as resources we're using today, we have our standard Bibles that we like to use, the ESV, the CSB, um, and then also we've used the Essence of the New Testament, a survey by Elmer Towns and Ben Gutierrez, and then the New Testament in its World by N.T. Wright and Michael F. Bird. So there you go. That's pretty much like a college textbook. Yeah, which it's uh, solid. If you I love it, if but. you really want to dive in to the New Testament, I would highly recommend both of those books. One is short, so the new the essence of the New Testament is a shorter survey book. The New Testament in its world is also a survey book, but, but it's, it's a like deep yeah, dive. It's like eight, it's a deep dive survey, eight nine hundred pages of survey. So it's good stuff. All right. Well, first we're going to talk about Galatians. Uh, this week in the reading plan, we're reading pretty much all of Galatians. We're finishing Exodus. We're reading the longest chapter in the Bible, but we'll get to that at the end. Ooh. And then we're also starting Leviticus, but we won't be talking about Leviticus this week. We'll be talking about it next week. And next week will be kind of a, I don't know, more of a deep dive into how to read Leviticus. Because if you've, <laughs> well, if you've ever tried to read the whole Bible in a year, I bet you by percentage, Leviticus is the book where you lose like the biggest percentage of people. It's a, it's a hard read. So, but worry not, beloved listeners. <laughs> We got you. We're here for you. Uh, but that's not what we're talking about this week. This nope. week, we're talking about Galatians. Uh, so Galatians is a letter written by Paul to a group of churches in the Roman province of Galatia. So, you know. Oh, hey. Galatians. That's why I it's see. called that. I see what you did there. Uh, it's kind of interesting, though. When Paul refers to the Galatians, he, so first off, I should say, Galatia is in modern-day Turkey. So it's in about the central part. Um, it goes about the mountainous region in the north, it goes east-west, and it kind of forms like a little bit of an upside-down L, and then it goes down, and then it doesn't quite touch the ocean. So I know this is really interesting If you're anything you. like me, listeners, when Evan, he's just brilliant. He has it's all not, the information and, and all of this stuff. He just retains it all. Uh, when he starts talking about like the actual like location and not just like modern-day Turkey, that's where I would be like, oh, okay, cool, thanks. Uh, but to be able to dive, it's like it's an upside-down L, and I'm just like, holy cow, man. You're just brilliant. So I just, I just like, laugh. I just kind of chuckle to myself here and shake my head a bit. Not because I am laughing at him, but just because it's just, it's amazing. So I just like well maps. Done, sir. I, uh, yeah. I watch, um, like one of my favorite YouTube channels is literally just one that talks about like maps and like fun geography. That was Sheldon so. and Amy? No, but I'm just, I, I'm just kidding. Often, Big Bang Theory reference. I often joke about how if there really was a show called Fun with Flags, I would be an <laughs> avid watcher and then my wife makes fun of me. But I just, yeah. Dude, you'd be, you'd be and, proud of me. Total side note. Welcome listener to our lives. Um, dude, I've been watching a lot more documentaries lately. Hey, You'd be proud of me. Look at you. I haven't watched any whales or animal ones really, but it's like all about like I've watched The Alpinist, um, Ooh. which is interesting. Uh, obviously, Free Solo was one that I watched forever ago. Dude, Free Solo is cool. Uh, but the guy Alex McConnell actually likes like talks about the guy The Alpinist. Um, 
and talk like she's like, dude, that I got so many stories for, about this guy. So it's pretty, hmm. it's pretty interesting. So, but I've been watching more. So, well, speaking of rock climbers, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Sorry, you're just I'm, we're just letting you into the veil of our lives. Yeah, so. there you go. Uh, so when Paul talks, when he's referring to the Galatians, it's kind of interesting because he could be referring to two different groups of people, or theoretically both at the same time. It's true. Yeah. So there's this. I'll, I'll break it down for you a little bit, listeners. So the southern part, so that kind of long strip that goes down south, uh, there's the cities of Derby, Lystra, and Iconium. Um, those are cities that we know for sure Paul visited. They're recorded in the mm-hmm. book of Acts. I can't remember if it's his, I think it's his first missionary journey, right? He goes to those cities. Maybe it's his second. Yeah, I don't know. I should have. I, should I have trust written, you, so yes. I should have written that down. But anyways, he's been to those cities. So he could be talking when he says the churches in Galatia. He could be talking specifically to those churches that he helped plant. He also could be referring to the ethnic Galatians, which this is kind of, this is kind of a weird thing because you don't think of this in this part of the world. Um, but these were uh, ethnic Gauls or Celts, which essentially are um, Germanic people hmm. in the time. So the bar- when the Romans refer to the barbarians, usually they're referring to the Gauls and Celts. And then eventually they would make their way in, well, at this point they're already in Britain, but like the last bastions of Celtic culture would be like Brittany and France and then like Ireland and Scotland and Wales and Cornwall. So it's kind of, it's kind of cool that like, that's the group of people, but they're in Turkey. You would never think about. Yeah, uh, not at all. So there you go. So that's who Paul also could be referring to. And they live in that Northern part. So Galatia, very diverse ethnically, culturally placed. It's kind of, and, and you'll see why that kind of comes to bite them here when, it, when we get into Paul's letter. <laughs> um, so if it's the Southern group that Paul is writing to, then we could actually, this could actually be one of Paul's earliest letters, if not his earliest one. And we could date it to like the mid to late forties. Um, and if it's the Northern group of people, it's probably more accurately to be the mid fifties or so. Cause you're kind of assuming the gospel gets shared in that Southern region mm-hmm. and makes its way North as time goes on. So there you go. Either way. Well, and we're talking AD, by the way. Yeah. Not, not the not, 1940s. Not, <laughs> yeah. It's just a recent letter. The first forties, the forties with nothing, with no numbers. The zero for them. There you go. Uh, but anyways, regardless of which group the letter is written to, there are clearly new Christians who have been led astray by some of the Jewish Christians who held that the Gentiles needed to be religiously Jewish to follow Christ. And that sounds a little bit confusing, but this is a theme that comes up in a ton of Paul's letters is that there's kind of these two groups of Christians right off the bat. There's the Christians who are Jews and they recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. So Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament. And they have their own struggles because a lot of their struggles are what in our traditions now needs to be left behind. Which I always want to be careful because sometimes we have a tendency to demonize those people. Yeah. Um, no, that's a, that's a very real struggle. Like imagine that you have this faith and tradition that has been hundreds of, not hundreds of generations. I don't know what the actual number, <laughs> but it would be your father's 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 yeah. father's father was a part of this. Um, and now all of a sudden it's completely changing. So you have that kind of group of Christians. And then you also have these new Christians who are uh, pagans. Like they've been either, like they've been worshiping pantheons of gods or the kind of like the Greek uh, philosopher types, whatever it might be. Um, And now they're figuring out what in their traditions needs to be left behind. But then they're also having to figure out, well, what of the Jewish tradition are things that are for me? And then what are things that are just getting left behind? And it's even a struggle that we see today in um, 2000 years later, is there's a lot of different denominations Mm -hmm. of the church that hold different levels of Jewish tradition that need to be brought into Christianity and then others that don't. So it's it's a, it's not like this gets solved with the letter to the Galatians. No, if only. If, if only. 
Um, but yeah, they're new Christians. They're being led astray. And Paul is shocked by this. We get this in chapter one, starting at verse six. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you to the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. Oh, I love that. <laughs> like, yeah, right. hey, by the way, not saying there is a second gospel, uh, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So Paul's not mincing words here. No. Uh, for am I now, I also love this because he's kind of, anyway, uh, he says, <clears throat> for I am now, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Um, so to pause there for a second, we're not explicitly told how people are attacking Paul, but we can assume that if these are the questions he's answering, that's probably what the accusations yeah. are leveling. So when he says, am I now seeking the approval of man? We can imagine that this group of Christians saying that you need to become uh, religiously Jewish as well would be like, look, Paul's just telling you that because he wants you to like him um, and he wants to bring people into Christ. He's not telling you the hard stuff that we're willing to tell you. And so Paul here is basically, he's nipping that in the bud. Yeah. And I think, I think it's important too, to remember, like even just when, when, the way Paul writes sometimes can be so confusing and so hard to keep up with because it almost feels like he is um, literally uh, ADD, like a lot, like writing. His mind's literally, literally, like literally, like he, he just kind of jumps all over the place. But really, he is he he's writing a letter to present an argument in a conversation, and so he's he's addressing things that he's been asked. We only get one side of the conversation, and so when you see these questions pop up in any of Pauline's Paul's letter, any Pauline literature, it's important to stop because it, it helps you understand the conversation at hand. He, it gives you a little bit more context into Galatia or Philippi or wherever the, the, the letter is written to. Um, it just, it just kind of helps enhance the conversation some more because it, it gives you, again, like I said, kind of helps you see what's going on in Galatia versus just reading it bla or flatly, if that makes sense. So I think it's a really good, really good thing to remember when you see these questions to stop and to, to even pause for a moment like we just did in reading this passage, uh, I think it's really important to do that. There is absolutely zero shame in like needing to pause when you're reading Paul and like, okay, let me read that again. Yeah. Let, me, let me think about this for a second because it's, it's very dense the way mm -hmm. that he writes. Uh, but he continues and he says, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard it. For, you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God and violent, violently and tried to destroy it. And as I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem and to visit Cephas. Uh, this is Peter, by the yeah. way. Uh, this is another, it's another way of saying the rock, um, but not Dwayne, but you know, Wait, the Peter. The rock was, I'm just kidding. Petros. <laughs> Cephas, all that jazz. Uh, anyways, <laughs> then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I, and I was still unknown to the person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. 
They only were hearing it when I said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. All right. So that's a really long passage, but here's what Paul is really trying to get across. I am not doing this for my own glory. This isn't a gospel that I made up and everyone else disagrees with. This is the gospel that Jesus Christ himself presented to me. And essentially he's giving them his, a little bit of his bona fides of, yeah. as an apostle. He's letting them know, like, I'm not like a charlatan who's just like coming into town. Yeah. So it can sound a little braggadocious. And I, I do not think that's what Paul is trying to do here. He, well, I think what he's trying to do is tell the Galatians, like, essentially you can trust me. Like kind of in the way that like, if, if, if you're an expert in something and you're giving people advice, like if your doctor is saying something, like he can point to like, hey, like, like this is where I went to school. Like I've been a doctor for this many years. Like you can trust me when I tell you this. Yeah. That's kind of what Paul's doing here. Well, remember he's being, he's being challenged and questioned about his, his, uh, his authority True. Um, and his, his integrity as, as a minister of the gospel. And so he's, he's laying it out there before them saying, okay, he's validating his credentials uh, because he's being questioned. So yeah, Paul's essentially, he's reminding them of the call that he has mm -hmm. on his life. And he's saying that the slanders that the Judaizers, and this is the group of people saying that they need to become religiously Jewish, uh, that these slanders aren't true. Uh, he also later on, he refronts how he confronted Peter, who again, he calls Cephas, uh, for his hypocrisy in dealing with the Gentiles. So, and I think it's, it's one of those stories that's important because A, it shows that these are two like just apostles of the faith who also, yeah. who... I just say disagree because Peter's like you're right, but yeah. <laughs> they have con they have conflict over this issue, um, and so it it it, it shows it makes them very human. Like these aren't and like so many of the heroes of the Bible, like except Jesus, they're they're flawed people, and yeah. so uh, yeah, it's, it's just it's an important thing to keep in mind. It's also an important theme for the Galatian Christians because Paul is showing them no, like when other people have been trying to say that the Gentiles need to become Jewish, I stood up for you. I stood up for you to Peter. And the, you know, I think if I'm, if I'm a Galatian, you know, if I'm like one, I'm just imagining the Celts now because I think that's cool. <laughs> if so whether or not it was them, but you know, like imagine like you have this deep heritage somewhere else. And now all of a sudden this faith that you're coming to, you, you feel inferior because this isn't like something that you've been in in a long time. It would feel incredible to know that like, okay, Paul is defending me even to other titans of the church. Like it, it is, and so it's, yeah, it's a way of showing that Paul deeply cares for the Galatians. He deeply cares for the Gentiles. And yeah, he keeps telling them basically do not feel inferior because of your heritage. And in 2, 15 through 16, he says this, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is justified by works of the law, not, sorry, not by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have also believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works, the law, by works of the law, no one will be justified. So what he's saying here is, yes, like I'm, I'm Jewish. And speaking from Paul's perspective here, I grew up <laughs> like for generations, my family was Jewish. It, later on in a different letter, he says he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, but the law is not what justifies. Therefore, it's not something to be ashamed of if you were not uh, a follower mm -hmm. of Jewish law. You were now under a new covenant. The old covenant has passed away. Yep. So really cool. Uh, chapter three begins his doctrinal statement of the book. As I was just going to put, we're going to have to kind of skim through a lot of this, but I put, it's, it's interesting how similar it is to Romans in content, but how different it is in tone. So, because it's, so it's true. A, a lot of it, it's like, it's the same themes. Um, but in Romans, Paul is writing to the church in Rome 
which at that time he had never met. So he just knows that there's a church in Rome. So he's kind of presenting the faith to them. Um, and in Galatians, he's kind of slapping them upside the head. He's like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, hey, qu- why'd you forget this? Like, get back to the truth. So he's giving the same truth, but in very different, in very yeah. different ways. Uh, he contrasts the old covenant with the promise of the new covenant. So the law of the old covenant, he's saying that that is not what binds us anymore. We are under the promise of the new covenant. And while the Galatians may have felt like they were missing out on being part of the old covenant, Paul reminds them that Jesus came to fulfill and to replace what had been before. So that's a big theme in Galatians that because of the work of Christ, what was once binding is now been released. Yeah. So, and that's a complicated conversation, but you know, it's Paul. So <laughs> there you go. There's not much of what Paul says that isn't complicated. Right. Uh, Paul is constantly reminding the Galatians that they are just as much inheritors of God's promise as the Jews who came before them. And then in chapter five, Paul really hammers home that they have been set free from the law. And I should say, when we say set free from the law, we don't mean basically, you know, that old Little Caesars commercial, there's no rules. And then yeah. like, the guy takes <laughs> off his shirt. Um, what, what Paul's saying here is there, when, when we read through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, where there's so many of those sections that are essentially about here's the rites and rituals that we have to fulfill. Those things are no longer binding to us as Christians. And so what the Judaizers were arguing was, you know, like, okay, adult men, you got to go be circumcised, which, you know, huge bummer. Um, And then you got to keep the festivals, not as big of a bummer, but you know, still, it's one of those things um, where Paul is saying like, no, you don't understand. Like Jesus said, he came to fulfill the old covenant and reestablish a new covenant. So it doesn't mean that there's no... um, that God doesn't expect us as Christians to live moral lives. There's not things that are still sin. What it means, though, is that kind of the old binding law is no longer binding for us as Christians. So anywho, uh, finally, he gives them some advice on how the Galatians should treat each other with grace and restore those who have sinned. Um, I do love the whole idea of because of the grace that God has given us, we need to extend that grace to others. That is a constant theme in scripture and one that we shouldn't we should not skip past. Um, and then his final lines, I just love it. It's, it's just kind of like, it reads like a dad to me of like after he gets finished scolding his kids, but it's, this is how he wraps up the book. Um, From now on, let no one cause me trouble <laughs> for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you in spirit, uh, be with your spirit brothers. Amen. So just kind of like, all right, I don't want to hear any more about what's going on here. So that is the idea. Well, before we jump into Exodus, though, I do want to remind everyone to hey, you know, jump on a jump on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a leave us a, leave us a five star review. We would really appreciate it, listeners. Also, it helps get the podcast out there to more people to continue growing uh, this group of people that we have reading the Bible together. And it's really like we talk about this a little bit, but it is really fun because we can see the back end analytics of stuff. So it's cool to see like different parts of the U.S. or even different parts of the world yeah. where we have pockets of listeners that are kind of getting. It's it's really cool. Um, and then also it just kind of, it's an encouragement to us to be able to hear like, okay, well, how is this helping you or how can we improve those sort of things? So we would really appreciate it. And it's just fun to, to, to see how God's using this, our time together between Evan and I to encourage and, and sharpen and help you in your growth and and journey with Jesus. So we'd love to hear about that. We'd love for you to leave a a review too, not just a rating, uh, Spotify, we're getting there. I saw 13, five stars so far. So I thank you for that. One day they'll let us Uh, write reviews. One day, one day, but we're going to keep moving forward in that. So, um, the other thing we're doing this week is I kind of jump in, we're we're finishing up the book of Exodus. So we're going to be hitting chapters 25 to 40, uh, 
And you're really going to see that the, the book takes a shift away from narrative, away from the story of Joseph, away from uh, God's sovereign design and plan to uh, protect in, in his people and uh, through Joseph and him, him being raised up in, in all of Egypt, having so much authority. Uh, and you see this exodus happen. Uh, sorry, that was Genesis. Then you see this exodus happen where they are then delivered after so many years of, of slavery to the Egyptians. God does all these miracles and things like that. So we're, this is kind of the journey we're on right now. Um, and you're going to see the end of Exodus will actually set up Leviticus. Um, and, and like we've already said, we'll get into Leviticus next week. Um, but it really is the idea of the tabernacle being uh, set up for uh, God's people as they're wandering in the wilderness. Um, and it's a really remarkable piece. Um, and so I, I, the way I, I've kind of seen it broken down is just in four different sections. Uh, one is the idea of the instructions for the tabernacle. And essence, you're going to find in chapter 25 to 31, um, the bulk of 31, actually, you're going to find uh, just the, the the rules and the reminders of what, what is needed for the tabernacle and the heart behind it. Um, and, and so you're going to see that it's just um, this reminder for people. Uh, God's people to focus on God. He's establishing his people and decision to dwell among them in the tabernacle. That's what the tabernacle is. It's a mobile temple. Uh, you'll see later on in the history of, of God's people that they want to erect and build a temple, a physical, solid, permanent building. Uh, but God establishes the tabernacle. He, and I've, I've read, I've read it this way in, in some recent conversations, just the idea that God is a mobile God that he wants to be with his chosen people. Uh, so the tabernacle, uh, I've actually even read this. Some scholars have compared the tabernacle to like a mini Eden, um, uh. where he sets up this um, site, this mobile site that's torn down and set up often uh, to dwell among his people. Uh, go back to Genesis when creation was established. It was a place where God dwelled with his creation. Um, and so his decision, God's decision to initiate and introduce the tabernacle to his people uh, was this idea that he wanted to again reestablish dwelling among his people. Um, and, and the tabernacle represents this step towards God's restoration of paradise, uh, which ultimately finds its fulfillment in the new heavens and new earth that we find in Revelation 21. Uh, so the first part of the, the reading we're going to do today is just introducing the tabernacle. Uh, we have this one moment in verse 18 of chapter 31 where Moses receives the Ten Commandments. Uh, Ooh. And and. He has this incredible moment. God writes on these stone tablets and he has the law right in front of him. Uh, and then God says, hey, leave, <laughs> go downstairs, go down, go down from the mountain because your people, uh, and it's interesting. There's a nuance here where God says, hey, the people you've brought to me have rebelled against me. And he sends Moses down. Growing up, I used to, uh, my, my grandparents owned a Christian radio station. And so they would, back in the day, what you had was cassette tapes and that's how you played it. Yep. So when they finished playing them, they would actually send me boxes of like, so I would get like Adventures in Odyssey and there was another one I can't remember. But one of my favorites was a guy named Mr. Henry, who I found out is Frank Peretti, the author, huh. but I had no idea. But so anyways, shout out to that. Oh, really? Oh, he does like, he's like I a pretty didn't popular Christian the, the cassette author. tapes that you listen to. Ah, anyway, Mr. Henry, love that guy. But it always makes me laugh because like he did like, you know, just funny kid stories basically. And so in this moment where it's like, go down and see your people, Moses goes, oh, so now they're my people. Now, <laughs> now that they're worshiping a calf, all of a sudden they're not your people anymore. So it always... It always makes me laugh when I read that. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, even as I was reading through it uh, yesterday, it's the same thing. I was like, oh, okay. So God, it's my it's my people now. Like, th aren't these your people? Didn't you send Moses? And so I could totally see kind of the the, the funny dynamic there for sure. Uh, but God is mad. Like he's angry right now because he's up here with Moses. Um, and so I, I want to spend a few moments in, 
in this third section that I would say, it, it, in essence, breaking it down, like it's it's a covenant breach. There's intercession from Moses and then the renewal of the covenant among God and his people. Uh, and you see this in a matter of three chapters, four chapters, three chapters, uh, between 32 and 34. Uh, and I'm going to read through a few things. Uh, and, it, and so the first part I want to read is just this idea of the golden calf. Uh, this is a familiar passage to many of us, but there's some nuances here that I think are important to, to spend time with. So chapter th- 32, verses 1 through 10 says this, when Moses saw the people, so this is right after uh, he was up with God receiving the Ten Commandments, and God says, stop, go down because you're people. They're, they're rebelling against me. They're just a bit classic Israel. And Moses had gone up to the mountain. Joshua, his, his number two, had gone up with him, but stopped short. Uh, so Joshua wasn't present with God when the Ten Commandments were written, but Joshua was, was closer to Moses and me, Moses' meeting with God than all the other people were. Uh, and so when the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, come, make us gods for us who will go before us because this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. Aaron replied to them, take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings that were on the ears and brought them to the, to Aaron. Um, Aaron, you're doing my name wrong. Uh, but he said this in verse four, he took them, he took the gold from them, fashioned it with an engraving tool and made it into a, the image of a calf. Then he said, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of it and made an announcement. There will be a festival to the Lord tomorrow. Early the next morning, they rose, offered burnt offerings, presented fellowship offerings. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up and party. Uh, so this is what's happening. Moses is up on the mountain. This is what's happening. And it's a couple things happen here that I think are important before I finish up uh, reading this section. Uh, the people are, they're impatient. They yep. don't understand what's happening. Moses has disappeared. Moses were, went up to meet with God, came back because God is working to establish the covenant. He's working on this agreement between his people and him. Um, and he wants it. He puts it in writing. He brings them out of Egypt. Uh, he's setting up, giving instructions for the tabernacle, uh, what it's going to be, because he's choosing to dwell among his people. So he's setting a standard and setting uh, uh, the stage for what it's going to require. People are getting restless. Now, here's the thing that I thought was really interesting as I was reading. God's people in this moment, I don't, it's not that there was an attitude of rebellion necessarily. I want to be careful there because obviously they rebelled. They forgot everything God did. Um, the the response that they give where they, um, where they offered burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings, this was the same response they did to God upon their deliverance from Egypt. But they didn't, they, they came from a society and a culture in Egypt where gods were created for everything. All they, they, they understood right. idol fashion, fashioning is, is the norm. This is what we do. This is what we've done for so long. And you're seeing this culture collision between what God is establishing as the sovereign God, as the only God, everything else is an idol. He's already set the 10 commandments. You shall not make for yourself another God. So there is rebellion here, but it's so easy for us to write them off, say, well, they're just rebellious. But the thing is, they had been in this culture for so many years that this is just what they knew. Well, I think when we read through so much of the Old Testament, we have this tendency to think of the Jews specifically in this time period as being, you know, like modern day Jews or even yeah. being um, like during the time of Christ, like the Pharisees mm-hmm. and the Sadducees. Um, the story of the Old Testament, particularly in like the Genesis and Exodus period, is God taking pagan tribes people yeah. and making them into his people. And so like for us today who have just been um, 
like our our world is just absolutely bathed in Christian yeah. ideas. Like there's no escaping it. Like even if people today are kind of falling away from faith, the the the, the world that we live in is built on a foundation of Christian theology. Yeah. Um, back then, this is this is not true. Nope. <laughs> and so, the idea that they would go worship, a, 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 make an idol, like you said, it was just it was just a thing that they yeah, did. This like, is just normal. Like to us, it's like, are you? What are you doing? And like, obviously, God is very angry, and Moses yells at them. Um, but it's a much more reasonable is the wrong word. But it's a mu- it was a much more common response yes. than it would be today. And you see that in you know through all of this this happening, it was they wanted to glorify and worship God. But all they knew is that there was multiple gods to worship. So you see this in Aaron's response in verse five. He says, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of it and made an announcement. There will be a festival to the Lord tomorrow. That's a capital L. He's referring to Yahweh. And it's not this, it's not this, it's the calf. And I used to think that the calf was their version of Yahweh, but but because of the the polytheistic culture that they they were have been in and that's inundated throughout the Old Testament. It's this picture where it's almost, and some of the scholars that I was reading about just have this this picture that's most likely Aaron is creating a festival to honor and worship the gods. So this calf and Yahweh, uh, because Yahweh is the one who did the, right. the miracles. So they're not quick to forget the miracles. They're they're slow to understand the shift. They see they see Yahweh the way that like someone from Athens would view Athena exactly as like it's one it's like our favorite god and he's the god of our people yes. he's one of the gods yep so that's what's like that's some of the the context that's going on here so all this is happening the Lord spoke to Moses verse seven go down at once for your people you brought up from the land of Egypt have acted corruptly they have quickly turned the way I, away from turned from the way I commanded them they have made for themselves an image of a calf. They have bowed down to it, sacrificed to it, and said, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord also said to Moses, I have seen this people. They are indeed a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger can burn against them and I can destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. Um, Aww. It's, it's almost kind of thoughtful, right? <laughs> Let's restart. So there's this crazy thing. Moses goes down. He he gets mad. He slams the, the Ten Commandments. We have these things. And then, but then he, his response to God, I think, is worth merit. His response to God is not for his own entitlement or his own provision or his own establishment as the the new like the new people. Like God is like, hey, I'm going to eradicate these people and I'm going to create a new nation with you. Um, it doesn't play out that way. No, Moses um, takes a moment and prays on behalf of God, like, no, Lord, please don't like don't do that on behalf of your people. These are your people. You brought them up in the land of Egypt. Um, don't worry or he in essence moses you see this really deep intimate friendship between moses and god where moses is able to ask and challenge and and come against not in like the the antagonistic way but set like another thought out there and he just says god what about your name you brought them out for your name um and then so you see this intercession that moses plays out and i think it's it's pretty interesting there's a inside this passage where moses is interceding you see um a little section called the tent of meeting um, and this is this is kind of a, a pretty, it seems precarious when you read through it, but it's important because what God is establishing with the tabernacle, the end of this book is about the tabernacle, about setting the stage for the tabernacle. Um, and he says this, it's called the tent of meeting. Now Moses took a tent and pitched it outside the camp at a distance from the camp. He called it the tent of meeting. Anyone who wanted to consult, sorry, this is chapter 33, verses 7 to 11. Anyone who wanted to consult the Lord would go to the tent of meeting that was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would stand up, each one at the door of his tent, and they would watch Moses until he entered the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of the cloud would come down and remain at the entrance to the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. 
This cloud is, is also the same cloud that helped deliver them and lead them out of Egypt by the pillar of cloud, pillar of fire. Uh, it was a symbol of the glory of, or the, the, the presence of God descending. Uh, and so in verse 10, it says, all the people saw the pillar of cloud remaining at the entrance of the tent. They would stand up, then bow and worship each one of the door of his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to camp. His assistant, a young man named Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the, t- not leave the inside of the tent. I, I read all of that because it's, you got to remember the context here that the tabernacle is being established. The instructions for the tabernacle, the law is being given, the covenant is being set. And God used to dwell outside of the camp. All of God's, all of God's people would pitch a tent or pitch their tents in family units. They, they, and then outside of the tent, some distance would be one tent that Moses would set up where the, where God would show up to meet with him face to face. And the people who wanted to consult with him, they would go to that tent outside of the camp. The change happens when God establishes the tabernacle. And, and so we'll, ju- we'll see this, this shift happening where God is no longer a distant God that you have to go visit, but God is a God who's present in the very middle. So this is where his wrath comes out. This is where his frustration comes out. I'm creating a covenant to be present with you, to dwell among you. And they've ignored me. They've rebelled against me. Um, so you see this intercession, the heartbeat of God is to be present with his people. And Moses is, is wanting to, 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 to see this come to fruition. Um, he doesn't want to be his own people. So you, you really see his heart for God's people, his heart for his people. And which even goes back to originally when he kills an Egyptian on behalf of his Hebrew, like his Hebrew people, um, that there's part of this, these are my people. And I want to see you provide and do what you can do as far as bringing them out of captivity, as far as, uh, establishing them as your people. Um, and, and it's really, I think it's a really powerful picture of, of what's happening with God's people. Long story short, God relents, God renews this covenant. Moses goes back up to the, the, the mountain with God. His, his, he forces, quick backup for a second, he forces the, the idol, he melts it down, makes it into powder and forces everyone to drink it. Real Moses move, love it. <laughs> and then he, he has the Levites who are like, who will since be the priesthood that will take charge of the tabernacle. He, is, he has them go around and kill off a brother or a family member who led in this rebellion towards uh, worshiping a, a golden calf. Uh, there's a whole lot of nuance there. Um, and then God reestablishes um, the covenant, he reestablishes his heart for his people. And then Moses goes up and then, and then God forces Moses to chisel out new stones, like the ones he was given that had the writing of the 10 commandments on. Uh, because if you remember when Moses came down, he was so angry, he threw down the, the, the tablets of stone that had the original 10 commandments on them. Um, the original law, if you will. And so he throws them out. So God's like, okay, come back up. I need you to do the work, chisel it out. <laughs> uh, which is just kind of funny. Cause it's like, you broke it, you fix it. Um, and then there's this incredible moment where Moses is saying, God, let me see your glory. Uh, there's this deep friendship that has been established. There's God is, is speaking favorably, favorably to Moses. Uh, and, and Moses has this intimate moment where um, he gets to see a portion of the glory of God, the, the backside of God, if you will. In essence, it's look, you can't see the front. Uh, you can't see my face because anybody who sees me will die. So God tucks him away, covers his eyes until he, he passes by. Beautiful moment, powerful moment. Um, and even Moses isn't perfect because later on in the story, you'll find that Moses will do things that are rebellious um, because of his anger. He had anger issues. I don't know if you know that. Moses was an angry dude. Um, Classic. And then God renews the covenant. And then the final piece of the, the book, chapters 35 to 40, you see um, the, the the book focuses on preparing, constructing, and assembling the tabernacle. Um, 
there's this depth and detail how it's supposed to be built. Um, and it's important because the length of time devoted to explain how the tabernacle is to be built and what it's supposed to be, how it's supposed to be established and how it's supposed to be handled and cared for and, 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 and erected and dismantled upon moving and mobility uh, reveals just how important the tabernacle is. Because this is, again, this is God wanting to dwell among his people. Um, and I love this line and I love this thing because I don't think I've ever thought about it this way before. Uh, but the tabernacle is, this is the statement, the tabernacle is the visible guarantee of God's continuing presence with with and care of Israel. Uh, and that's and that's where the book ends. And you see, we'll see as we shift into Leviticus, it's a continuation. God, God establishes his people in Genesis. They go to Egypt. Um, there's bad rulership who enslaves the people of Israel. God delivers his people Israel to a set uh, to set in motion the tabernacle, which is his dwelling among his people, where it's no longer this tent of meeting moment, but it's the center uh, of the ta- of, of the the encampment. Uh, the tabernacle is the very center, and every tribe faces their tents towards the tabernacle. Uh, and then Leviticus is this is how this is what the tabernacle is for. It's this idea of holiness and how to establish holiness, which we'll get into next week. But uh, that's kind of how the book ends. The tabernacle is is established it's set up it's assembled um and and it's this reminder this physical reminder of god wanting to dwell among his people no you you love to see it and next week listeners will get into more about like you know what what happens while they're <laughs> with yes. more of the law and stuff like spoilers it's uh you know israel's not perfect so what but we'll no we'll get to that uh, well, in addition to finishing up Exodus this week, we're also reading Psalm 119, which, as I mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast, is the longest chapter in, in the, the Bible, whole Bible. Yeah. Um, also, if you're interested, Psalm 117 is the shortest. Ooh, so, yeah, you know, like if you want verses, yeah, it's just like the Lord is awesome. Praise the Lord. Psalm 118. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that's basically that's what it Evan's is. standard version. Um, anywho, I think I think it's a really good balance with. Galatians, though, today, uh, to th- to yeah. read through Psalm, or I guess this week, but to read through Psalm 119. Um, so we as Christians are not bound to the law in the same way as ancient Israel. And that's mm-hmm. what Paul is hammering home in Galatians. Um, but that doesn't mean that the law was not a powerful blessing to the people of Israel yeah. and to God's people for generations. So Psalm 119, it starts off by saying, and we're going to read the whole thing today. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> so buckle up. It says, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. And so we know that we've all sinned and we've all fallen short. And, and, and for that reason, the law is an imperfect way of salvation because we, we can't keep the whole thing. Or as humans, we haven't kept the whole thing. Um, but that doesn't mean that if we walk in God's truth and we walk in um, moral uprightness and we live Christ-like lives, that doesn't mean that we are not blessed in that as well. And that also doesn't mean nothing bad ever happens because clearly that's not the message of the Bible. But life is going to go better for you for the most part if you're actually like treating people well, if you're loving people well, if you're treating, if you're looking at people the way that Jesus looks at people. Um, through a Christian lens, I think one way to view this is as an ode to the wonders of sanctification. And what I mean by that is under under the old law, it was the obeying the law of God was your way to justification and sanctification. And what I mean by that is justification is this, it's the Greek word, but it's the idea of being right before God. Um, so in other words, like on the day of final judgment, 
how are we justified? How, how does God say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Well, that is because of the work of Christ. That's not because of what we have done. And mm-hmm. so the, the weight of the law being off of us means that when we sin, we don't have to think to ourselves, oh my gosh, I just lost like my salvation. Now I have to make up for it. Um, to put it another way, we're not, we're not becoming more Christ-like so that God loves us. We're becoming more Christ-like because God loves us. Um, and so, but sanctification is this idea that the longer that we're Christians, the more and more we become like Christ. So the longer that we walk in God's truth, the longer that we walk in the truth of the gospel, the more morally upright we become and the more we begin to treat people like Jesus. So Psalm 119, if we want to take it and kind of look at it through the lens of Christ, which I think we should for the Old Testament is, I think you you look at it the way that it was intended to be read at the time, but then you also look at, well, how does Jesus change this? I think that's the way that we could look at it. Um, and then finally, I would say, as we read this, it's something that's really easy to skip over. Remember that the psalmist is giving thanks to Yahweh for the rules, which is really, it's just a weird thing for us today. Because when we see like, oh, your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path, we think of, you know, the gospels. <laughs> but like mm-hmm. when, when the psalmist is writing this, he's thinking of Leviticus and number, you know what I mean? He's thinking of those books that we just kind of slog through. He's thinking about this long list of rules and he's thanking God for it. So I wanted to read one of the, uh, I should have looked up what the term, uh, stanzas or something, but it's one of the actual like sections. And this is Psalm 119, 105 through 112. And this is probably the most famous passage. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn sworn an oath sworn. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. So... It's just one of those things that, I, again, I think it's important for us as Christians to remember that while we're not bound to the law, that doesn't mean that it wasn't an important part of the history of God's people. And that doesn't mean that it wasn't an incredible blessing to the people of Israel for generations before Jesus came and fulfilled it. So. Yeah. And I think it's I think it's also important to <clears throat> the, the just remember, like the beauty of Psalm 119 is how deeply the psalmist celebrates, remembers, reflects on the word um, and on the law, on the statutes. Uh, I, was, I was trying to remember how many, uh, there's 176 verses, I believe, in Psalm 119. Um, and and I, 80%, I think, is a conservative number of them refer to God's word or law or statutes in one way, shape, or form. There's different verb. I think there's eight different words mm-hmm. um, that refer to God's law. Um, and it, and it, carrying it into a New Testament era, right, a new covenant era, um, it's also important to remember John 1 that says in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God in the beginning, the word was with God. Um, and it's, it's, it's illusion and it's, it's the reality of Jesus. Like Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises of God's word. Um, and so there's something to be said about understanding Psalm 119, um, as an old, old Testament covenant reality, but it's also blending and merging into not, not both and, but, uh, the representation of Jesus as the fulfillment and, and. I, I would suggest that I think many of us need to continue to walk in, in the same humility, the same honor and regard for God, God's word fulfilled in Christ and Jesus as the psalmist did for his law and statutes in the Old Testament. So there is this, this 
parallel, but it is. The word was such a valuable, highly sacred thing um, for ancient Israel because it's what they built their lives upon. It's what the the, the, the tabernacle was established on, um, and and I think it's 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 a beautiful challenge for us as as we think and reflect um, through the reading of Psalm one nineteen, which is a long read. So um, so that's why we're not reading it today. But it is, it is a very a very beautiful very very beautiful poetry. Um, from the psalmist. I'm trying to figure out what I was trying to finish and say. Oh, hey, but that was yeah, beautiful. That was it. beautiful poetry from Aaron just then. I got you. Uh listener, this is a little bit of a longer episode, but you know, we're talking about the longest chapter in the Bible. So yep. it's kind of fitting. But we're gonna wrap it up with a question. This one will be a quick one. Uh, but it's more, I guess, more an interesting observation than anything else. Uh, mm-hmm. but we got this in this week. It says, Is there any significance to Jacob blessing the Pharaoh in Genesis 47, 7 through 10? So to read those passages, that passage really quick, it says Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of my life, and they are not attained to the days of the years of of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. So... It's kind of weird. So you get this idea that a so Jacob does not live as long as Abraham and Isaac. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember exactly, but they live into their one seventies. I think both of them. I but don't recall. I don't. Rec- they, they live longer than Jacob for sure. Uh, so Jacob lives into his one thirties, and I also love that the way he describes it is the days of my sojourning, or in other words, the days of his travel, because they the. Israel is not a, a land of cities. It's just a, it's where this family is traveling back and forth. They're kind of living um, the nomadic lifestyle a little bit. But Pharaoh looks at them and he's amazed at how long lived they are. So there is this kind of idea that is their long life a, ble- a blessing from God to a certain extent. But I also think that Jacob here is recognizing that he's made a lot of mistakes in his life. And not that Abraham and Isaac didn't, but I think Jacob kind of regrets a lot of what has happened. He says, the days and the years of my sojourning are 130 years and few and evil have been the days or the years of my life. And so you kind of get this almost Ecclesiastes vibe from Jacob where at the end of the life, at the end of his life, he's looking back and kind of regretting so many of the choices that he made. Uh, But as far as why does he bless Pharaoh? Well, this is interesting. Um, I kind of see this Pharaoh, so the Pharaoh of Joseph, as being similar to King Darius or Artaxerxes. So, um, and these are pagan kings who treated God's people well and could be found, it could be counted as friends of the Jews. So Darius, remember, is the Persian king when Daniel is doing his his deal. Um, And he really likes Daniel. And then he kind of just makes some dumb decisions, but he's like really happy when Daniel's like saved from the lion's den. Um, And then Artaxerxes is the Pharaoh of Esther. So it's Esther's husband. And he's the one who's like, whoa, genocide, come on, guys. (laughs) Let's calm down with that talk here. Um, And so this Pharaoh, I would kind of count him among that class of ruler that we see, particularly in the Old Testament. Um, I think it's, I think here it's, it's not a complicated answer. I think Jacob is blessing the king who took his family in, in their hour of need. So remember this, remember that Jacob is in Egypt because of a famine. Yep. And so, uh, it's very desperate. They're coming, coming here essentially to save their lives. And so I think just like Jacob blesses his sons, he also wants to bless the king who has been generous with them as well. Um, and for me, I think the other added layer to this is it just makes the actions of the Pharaoh of Exodus even more tragic, that you get this moment where 
Jacob is thanking the Pharaoh for taking them in. They kind of have this exchange where they have a mutual respect for one another. And a few generations down the road, we don't know exactly how long, but all of a sudden the Pharaoh goes from kind of this friendship with Jacob and his sons and their people to enslaving them and trying to wipe out a whole generation. So it, it makes it, it was already sad to begin with, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it adds a whole nother layer of sadness when you think through it, the lens of, of Jacob blessing Pharaoh. So, but thank you for the question. Cause honestly, like I was talking with Aaron before we start, before we hit record, um, it's one of those things that like, you know, I don't, I don't know how many times I've read that passage. I never think about like, he does bless Pharaoh. Doesn't yeah. he? That's kind of weird. So. Well, and I think you see it in different, <clears throat> the same, the same concept you see, even in the new Testament. I mean, it's, you see the counter to it in the sense of like Paul saying, you know, if, if maybe it was Paul, I don't, and I can't remember, I'm blurring um, who's actually said it, but the idea of like shaking the dust off your feet if the town does not accept you, um, which is a sign of cursing in the New Testament when I think maybe it was Jesus when he sent people out. I think it is. Um, he sends his disciples out and if they don't receive you or welcome you to shake the dust off your feet, which is a sign of cursing. It's a sign of, I'm not going to bless you. I'm not, I'm not asking or hoping for God's favor. Like there's just this, this disconnect, not disconnect, this, this rejection that can exist in that moment. So there is like the context is Joseph was was highly favored. Joseph was given immense platform and and favor. And so and then Pharaoh welcomed his people, like Joseph's people, welcomed the the Hebrews to Egypt and gave them uh, a great piece of, of land so their their herd and their cattle and their sheep and all can can Goshen is eat. prime property. Yes. So like there is this it's 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 a it's a gratitude, a deep gratitude and respect given to Pharaoh. So it is this natural response of, you know, may God bless you and, and, you know, there I use numbers, right. And keep you. Uh, but it's, it's one of those things like there is this, this natural response, like you have shown favor to me and my, my children and my people. And I'm going to pray that God would bless you in response to that. Um, just like we would today. I mean, I think we do that. Maybe not, we don't want, Hey, the Lord bless you, Evan. Like it's not necessary in that regard, but there is this deep gratitude and we, it's, it's, it leads us to a, uh, a favorable prayer for an individual and a favorable outcome is the, is the hope there. And so that's kind of what you see play out. Um, and so I think it's, it is that beautiful exchange and it is, I mean, Jacob passes away and his bones are, are brought, Joseph passes away. And then generations later, a Pharaoh does not like God's people. And that's where the slavery happens, but it starts off with a beautiful relationship, which I think is really, really, really cool. There you go. Well, listener, that wraps it up That's for it. A, a longer episode, but hopefully you enjoyed it of Let's Read the Bible. Uh, as a reminder, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of the Grove Church. You can go on our website, grove.church, and find all of those. Um, as well, if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you'd like to financially contribute the, to the ministry of the Grove Church, you can do that on our website. There's a give button in the upper right-hand corner. So yeah, with that being said, uh, see you next week. Have a great day.